Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Monday, October 5th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Doctors say Donald Trump's condition is improving after being hospitalized with COVID-19, but it's not clear if the U.S. president is out of the woods quite yet. Plus, what will the EU's financial services look like after the U.K. leaves the bloc? Our Brexit team discusses the uncertain future for the region's banks. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Donald Trump could be discharged from the Walter Reed Medical Center as soon as Monday after testing positive for COVID-19 last week. But there are still many questions about the president's health, his ability to lead the country, and his campaign in the final stretch of the 2020 presidential election. I spoke with our Washington bureau chief, Dmitry Sevastopoulos, about the president. And just keep in mind that things could have changed since we recorded this segment on Sunday, October 4th. Dmitry, what did we learn about the president's condition over the weekend? Well, it's been it's been really surreal. We were told on Friday that he was hospitalized as a precaution and that he only had mild symptoms. It turns out that he had a high fever on Friday morning. His oxygen levels fell to a dangerous level and he was actually put on supplemental oxygen. Uh, over the weekend, the fever apparently has gone. He's had one more bout of oxygen levels falling. He's now been put on a anti-inflammatory steroid to help him breathe. And he is on two experimental drugs to help him recover from COVID. So it's actually, it's been very dramatic. Dimitri, Donald Trump's doctor said the president could be discharged from the hospital as as soon as today. And again, things could have changed by the time people are listening to this. But, you know, what's next for Donald Trump's ability to do his job as president and, you know, his reelection campaign? Well, even if he's discharged, you know, he can do his day-to-day kind of White House duties from the White House residence. That's not a problem. I think the bigger issue is that, you know, for a period of time, it's inconceivable that he will be back out on the campaign trail, which is one of the critical ways that he won in 2016. So he's going to have to rely on people like Mike Pence, his vice president, to go out on the campaign trail for him. But but Mike Pence is nowhere near as good a campaigner as Donald Trump. So it puts him at a, a real disadvantage. I mean, he's going to struggle to reach people beyond using Twitter for the next uh, last 30 days, 29 days of the campaign. Dimitri Sevastopilo is our Washington bureau chief. Thanks, Dimitri. Thanks, Mark. And now, a look at Brexit. The 23rd of June, 2016. The British people have voted to leave. The Article 50 process is now of the EU without a deal. To suspend Parliament. We're going to get Brexit done. The pressure's on for Britain and the EU to reach a trade deal in the next few weeks. The Brexit transition period is up at the end of the year. There's still a big issue to resolve. Financial services. It's one of Britain's most important sectors, and it's been left out of the negotiations so far. The EU has flat out said that Brussels would decide how the UK will access the European market. So what will change for banks at the end of the year, and where do things stand now? Our Brexit editor, David Bond, discusses these questions and more with FT Trading Room editor Philip Stafford. So Phil, just to kick us off then, let's have a look at the big picture How much of the banking and asset management in Europe was done out of London before Brexit happened? 
On the eve of the referendum, the simple answer to that is an awful lot. London was and and still remains the undoubted financial hub of Europe, indeed one of the world's big financial hubs. So to really look at this in context, if you go back to the turn of the century, London, Frankfurt and Paris were pretty much on an even keel. There wasn't a lot of difference between them. But London, especially in the last 20 years, has got turbocharged. A lot of Big global investment banks move their assets into the city. Big derivatives portfolios will be traded and managed here. Foreign exchange trading remains an absolutely huge part of the business. Asset management, insurance, you name it, the city usually did a fair bit of this. And a lot of that was actually down to the single market. It allowed them to really suck up an awful lot of business out of other centers in Europe. The more business it sucked, the more business kept coming in. So what's happening? Well, what has happened since the referendum? Have we seen jobs and some of the volumes start to shift to Europe as city firms start to prepare for the end of the transition period? Yes, a lot of that has already taken place. I think probably in the early days after the referendum, there were some people hoping and thinking that maybe if there was some sort of loose deal that the UK was going to strike with the EU, then everything would be maintained pretty much as it was. That hope or expectation very quickly went away. And most financial institutions then began to look at the worst case scenario. What does uh, no deal entail? Uh, No deal would entail basically setting up places in the European Union, relocating staff or assets or operations, expanding offices. And so really from about 2017, people started accepting that there was going to have to be almost two of everything. There have been four or five places that have done particularly well, Dublin, Paris, Luxembourg, Frankfurt, Amsterdam. It's not quite so easy to say that X amount of jobs have gone. I think as we get to the final few weeks before January the 1st, then we will begin to see some other moves. I mean, we obviously know that the trade talks are coming to a head, but actually the discussions about financial market access for the City of London have been dealt with separately, haven't they? Can you just explain a bit what's been going on there in terms of how Brussels officials will eventually decide on market access for City of London firms? Yes, the way that the City and the EU would interact would be partly through a mixture of the UK regulators agreeing things with their counterparts on a country-by-country basis. And where possible, you can actually get licences that work right the way across the EU. It's known as equivalence. But what it really means is the EU judges the UK's standards for regulating things as equivalent to theirs, and they both agree that they will defer to the local regulator. Now, there are about 40 of these equivalence licenses, and they cover all sorts of things. I mean, sometimes they'll cover stock exchanges and sometimes credit ratings agencies and audits. So really, what people would like to know is, are they going to get these licenses or not? This has to be said, it would be true on both sides. EU institutions would like access to London. London institutions would like access to the EU. Well, it's crucial, isn't it, for the EU to maintain access, for example, on clearing. Yes, it's a strange business in the sense that it doesn't get huge amounts of attention. It is one of its most important businesses because it actually manages the risks on derivatives portfolios and clearing houses act as crash barriers for the global financial market. For a whole series of reasons, it all is based in London. Without access to that for EU institutions, 
it would cost them an awful lot more money. It would be destabilizing for them, destabilizing for the market. So the EU took a practical approach and said, well, you know, we, we will just extend our equivalence license for another 18 months to the middle of 2022, and, and then they'll take a view then. So they've sorted themselves out with regard to the thing that is the most pressing priority for them. But everything else is now on hold? Or Yes, they do realize that there are areas where London's business, it's too big, it's too entrenched, it's too close to ignore. And so there's this balancing act that they're, they're, they're deliberating right now about where they can grant access to their firms to come to London. Because if they do that, the business stays in London. Or they don't grant access and it comes back to the EU. And by doing so, they can actually build up their own capital markets and reduce their reliance on London. Well, isn't that the point? Isn't this really ultimately about competition and the EU wanting to build up its own financial capitals that will eventually have the capital markets there to compete with London? Yes, they do. They do want to do that. You want to build up your own capital markets. And, and the obvious way to do that is, is to kind of set up walls. But if you set up walls, then, then people can't get out. And the perception is that you're not an open market for business. So it becomes less attractive. So you have to create this permeable wall, if that makes any sense. Um, this one in which you know the standards are the same as everybody else's. They're not too onerous. There's not too much red tape. And what's also interesting is that the years since the Brexit referendum hasn't changed it. You know, you might have thought that actually the capital markets in the EU would have grown in, and, and uh, in some areas they have, but it also just serves to underline just how far London had gone. It is one of the curious things of the whole sort of Brexit process since the referendum that, you know, the most important part of the UK economy services and in particular financial services you know, that the city seems to have been largely relaxed throughout this time. They seem to think that that is not going to be deeply damaged by Brexit, even in the event of no trade deal being agreed in in time for the end of the year. Do you agree with that? I certainly agree that, yes, one of the more fascinating aspects of the last four years has been the relative silence of the city lobby groups. I think most people in the city and in London realise that the EU, it's a big capital market, but it's not the only capital market. London isn't just the capital and the hub, the main hub in the world for EU trading, the foreign exchange. You know, these are huge global markets clearing is another one it's the global hub the london services in terms of its lawyers its professional services you know uh, restructuring london's location equidistant between china and america is an important factor as well and so while i think the city would like to have as close a link with the eu as possible they realize that it's a global market there also has to be said there are people in the city big brexit supporters who would actually like a sort of an arm's length approach with the eu phil thanks very much thank you you can read the latest on brexit and more at ft.com this has been your daily ft news briefing make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news 
Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.